If you're willing and able, would you please stand with me as we prepare to read God's word from John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. The text is on the screen. The Apostle John writes, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Let me pray. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to obey what your word says. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There are children who are in this room, a part of our church, and uh, many children in our society, we were once children, right? But the easiest way for a child to be born, in a natural sense, is to be born face down. Not face up, but face down. When the baby is not facing down, the delivery process is extended and painful. Even the mother will experience pain when the baby's head is not in the proper position. I believe a lot of us are experiencing pain in our day because our heads are turned up and not turned down. There is no humility. We haven't turned our heads down and humbled ourselves before God. But when we look at John the Baptist, here was a man who embodied humility. His face, his head was turned down. He was not haughty or lifted up. He assessed himself properly. He did not walk in pride. He saw himself rightly in light of the one who was to come, that who was now here, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is humility? What is it? It is freedom from arrogance that grows out of the recognition that all we have and are comes from God. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care what community you live in. I don't care how many cars you have. If your closet is full, every single thing that you and I have has come from outside of us. It has come from God. We would not have anything if God did not open the gates of heaven and bless us in some way. Now, some people have more than others. I don't know about if you guys do this, but sometimes I like to ride around the city and see big houses. And my wife gets me, like she got me into it, right? Just look at that nice house. Man, I wish I had that. Oh, y'all don't do that. That's just me again. I... You know, you know, you understand what I'm saying, but we ride and we see what other people have and realize like, oh, they, I don't have that much. But we, we look at what they have and think like, man, that must be nice. But we also must understand that they would not have any of that if God did not give it. 
None of us would have the food that we have daily or anything unless God would give it to us. Greek philosophers despised humility because it implied inadequacy and worthlessness. So Greeks hated it. I think in a lot of ways we hate it too because we don't like to be seen as inadequate. I can't, when I go get a job, I can't present myself as, I hate these questions. People ask, what are your strengths? And what are your weaknesses? Right? That you have to assess that. And you have to say certain things about yourself because we don't want to sit in that room and give a weakness. Because if I share that, then there isn't a, a chance that I may not get that job. We, I think, in a lot of ways can be like those Greek philosophers. That we don't want to be seen as inadequate or worthless. But the Bible speaks of humility differently. Paul would say it this way, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Jesus embodied humility. He was the greatest example. Look at the text in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 to 30, where Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and what? Lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In our text today, we're going to see John walk in humility as well as pass the baton to Jesus. I love watching the Olympics, especially track, men and women, it doesn't matter. And relays where someone has the baton, they run a leg and they're going to take the baton, their leg is over. I'm passing it to the next person. This is what John is doing. He is fading off of the scene. Jesus is on the scene. He also pointed his disciples to the one who was greater than he was. The result, these disciples that followed John left him. They left him. See, in their day, teachers normally trained disciples who would then go out and teach others. It was rare for a teacher to recommend his disciples to a teacher that was greater. What does this imply? That I'm inadequate, that there's someone better than me. It was rare that one would do that, but John here, he did it. This is where his humility is seen because he had great confidence in Jesus's authority. So these two unnamed disciples, we will learn their names next week, but today they're unnamed. They're disciples of John. What does it mean? We're going to talk about this a little later, but they, they followed John. They were with John, and they wanted to imitate his life. But we're going to see in the text where now they leave him, which brings us to our only point for today, and it is this. The call of Jesus demands a total break with the past. The call of Jesus demands, and I, I want to highlight that word, it's not an option. The call of Jesus demands a total break with the past. See, to be a follower of Jesus is to enter into a lifelong relationship with him. And we, and we don't merely learn from Jesus. Again, we love information. We have books. I'm, I'm, I'm boxing up a bunch of books right now. And I'm trying to figure out, how did I get all these books? 
I'm just boxing them. My wife is looking at me like, yeah. Just boxes, 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 because we like information. I like information. But following Jesus is more than information gathering. It is to share our whole life with him without reservation. See, we can't follow Jesus and then hold on to the things of the past. Jesus, I'm with you, but I need this. We live for him, and when we do, we don't stay the same. Now, let me say this. Yes, Jesus accepts us as we are. I don't have to come buttoned up. Yes, I have on a suit today, and I grew up where if you went into the Lord's house, you didn't come. You had on your Sunday's best, right? I, I remember women with the big hats and, and the long dresses and the deacons and everybody had on the wonderful suits. This is how I grew up and how you had to come in. You couldn't come in with jeans and Jordans or T-shirts. You couldn't do that when I grew up. But now I understand that I don't have to come. I can come to Jesus without being buttoned up. I could come to him as I am. But here is the key. He accepts me as I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay that way. It's not about the outward. It's something inward that he begins to change and work in me. This is what we refer to as sanctification. The Westminster Shorter Confession gives a great definition of sanctification. Look at it with me. It says sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. My whole being. Romans 8.28 says it, 8.29 says it this way. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I'm being conformed day by day into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification frees us from sinful habits and forms in us Christ-like confession, uh, affections. I do hope, friends, for those of you who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, that from the day that you trusted him until now, I pray that some sin has fallen off of you. I pray that you're not the same, that you're not what you will be, because we all still struggle, but you're not what you once were. Can anybody test it at this morning? These two disciples of John, when John says, behold, the Lamb of God, they left John. Their lives from this point on would look drastically different as a result of following Jesus. So now let's look at our only point as we walk through this text, that the call of Jesus demands a break with the past. In our text, we're going to see John fade more and more into the background and Jesus become more pronounced in the foreground. Here is the scene. The text says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. To make sure we are not using words without meaning, we need to define things. I want to take a second to talk about what it means to be a disciple. We need to talk about that. 
the Greek word for disciple is the word, the Greek word matetes. It's spelled M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S, matetes. And there is a word that often occurs with the word disciple, and it is the word for follow. So get it. A disciple, matetes, does something he or she follows. This word expresses the, cent the central quality of the existence of a disciple. Notice that John's disciples were with him. This is another thing. They were with him. Being a disciple is about relationship. Friends, I I'm glad you're here. Watching, watching, and there's nothing wrong with watching a sermon online, so let me say that now, but you can't be discipled online. You can't be discipled at a distance. To be discipled implies proximity. It implies relationship. It's about learning. It's investing my life to be with and to be like the one who is teaching me and training me. I got to get close. I got to get close. And this, this reminded me of this. This week, my wife and I had an appliance installed. And I noticed this as I'm sitting there watching, you had a guy who was a master. You could tell it. And this, he was just talking every step of the way. And I noticed that the next guy was an apprentice. That he is, every step he is explaining why he's doing what he's doing. As they're installing, he had to drill a hole. And he is explaining why this hole needs to be drilled. So he's teaching and modeling. Because it's coming a point where this teacher is going to stop doing, and the apprentice is going to do. But right now, he has to model it. But he could only learn that if he is proximate and in, in relationship and with the master craftsman. Here are four jobs of a disciple that could be gleaned from Scripture that I want to share with you. Four jobs. First, a disciple would memorize his teacher's words. He would memorize his teacher's words. The way that they learned was by memorization. Now, again, I love the fact that we have books, and we could read books, and we could, we could memorize that. But just all of us here, I'm sure that when we, we grew up and our parents taught us the ABCs, we didn't have a chart before us. They, our parents, or someone, a teacher, would repeat those ABCs and then ask us to repeat it back. And we did it so much that we have it memorized to this day. All of us know the ABC song. They learned by memorization and repeating the words of a rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher. They would learn the words of the disciple verbatim. Not synthesizing, not summarizing. But they knew the teacher's words verbatim. And by memorization, they would be able to repeat them to future generations. So let me ask us, let me ask me and you this question. Are we able to repeat and pass on Scripture because we know it to a generation coming behind us? Do we spend time in God's Word to the degree that we could pass on this faith to the next generation? Paul would tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, the things you have heard from me. Notice, he didn't say the things you, saw, you read that I wrote. 
He said, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men and women who would be able to teach others also. Memorization, a job of the disciples. Second, a disciple would learn the traditions of how his teacher obeyed God and how he interpreted the scriptures. Every single detail about the teacher was important to the disciple. Every detail. Now, when the disciples followed Jesus, if Jesus washed his hands, the disciples would pay attention to how Jesus washed his hands. And they would mimic Jesus the same way. If Jesus washed his hands like this, I want to wash my hands like this. If Jesus walked with the limp, guess who else was going to walk with the limp? The disciples following him because every single detail about the life of the teacher was important to the disciple. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Notice the beginning, it says, Jesus says to these, these disciples, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But notice this, he says, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. First, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Jesus is quoting scripture. But now Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the son of God. Then he says, but I say to you. So his interpretation carries weight. Who is listening? The disciples. So now they are learning, oh, this is how Jesus is interpreting the Torah. This is how he sees scripture. So what are they going to follow? They're going to follow the way Jesus is living and teaching. Every aspect of the life of the teacher was important to the disciple. Thirdly, the disciple imitated his teacher. <laughs> this is the highest calling of a disciple. A disciple wanted to be a reflection of his teacher. Look, at, look with me at Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It says the disciple is not above his teacher. But when he, but when everyone is, 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 but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Again, just an example in our day and as a former athlete, when Kobe Bryant got into the NBA, he did everything like Michael Jordan. He chewed gum like Michael Jordan. He walked like Michael Jordan. He shot like Michael Jordan. And at first I'm like, why is he, why is he mimicking Michael. But now that we know that he's gone and his career is over, he's one of the greatest players to ever play. Now, this is in a worldly sense. He found a guy that he wanted to imitate and he became great. What about us as followers of Jesus? Paul would say to the, 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 the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then in one sense, Paul says this, and it's interesting to me, showing his how he made disciples. Paul says, imitate me, and then he says, I'm sending, I'm sending Timothy to you. What is the implication? Timothy is like me as I follow Christ. I, he's telling the Corinthians, imitate me, but I'm not coming. I'm sending Timothy. Because Timothy looks like me. Which means Timothy looks like Jesus. Could we say that with people around us? We may say, don't follow me. I'm jacked up, follow Jesus. 
But the only Jesus they see is who? We say we're Christ followers. The only Jesus, and I believe this is what is probably keeping many people out of the church. We're supposed to be Christians, but we don't love. We step on people's necks. We use scripture to oppress and hurt. We do these things. And I just wonder, I wonder if the Lord Jesus was walking with us today, would he, where would he spend his time? Where would he spend his time? I believe he would be on the fringes. He would be in those places where we, we say, oh, no, they, 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 they can't live around here because they bring our property value down. He's going to go out there in the, uh, off the interstate where the homeless are in the bushes, where you see pushing well, 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 grocery carts. I believe Jesus would be around those places. Now, I'm not saying he won't be on our streets. He will be there as well. But where would he spend his time? Where, where would he spend his time? Finally, the job of a disciple is to raise many disciples. <laughs> this creates a new generation of students and disciples. A new generation. So if Jesus delays his return, you and I, we have a date with death. And I'm not trying to sound just somber, but it's true. Our lives would not go on forever. But will there be a new generation of disciples that come up behind us? Now, our job is not to raise up disciples for ourselves, but we are to raise disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to the text. These two disciples of John, they stood with John. And in verse 36 and 37, it says of John, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. See, these two unnamed disciples, they apprenticed under John. But now that John had pointed to Jesus, they left John and went with Jesus. Understand that discipleship is a radical way of life in obedience to the will of God. These disciples heard John said, in essence, he's greater. That's the Lamb of God. They leave and go be with Jesus. Now Jesus is in the forefront. John is in the background. Jesus' ministry is underway. Notice that the word says that John looked. This word for looked by John is the Greek word emblepo. This will also be a word for next week, but it's emblepo, and it emphasizes the intensity of John's stare at Jesus. Do you ever get uncomfortable when someone just stares at you? Just staring at you, right? John sees Jesus walking. And his gaze on Jesus is so intense that it's like blazing. And he sees, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He looked intently and deeply at Jesus because he knew who he was. John's witness is now complete. It's done. The two disciples heard this. They responded by leaving. Even though they didn't understand fully what following Jesus meant, they trusted John's witness and went and followed Jesus. And their following was not superficial. 
it was not superficial. Their following consisted of leaving, self-denial, lifelong relationship with Jesus, and learning of him and from him. And the Gospels bear this out. Again, the Bible calls us, we, we call ourselves Christians, but early the Bible refers to Christians as disciples. The question, and don't respond, but I want you to think of this, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you are a disciple, what does that look like? Are you totally committed? I'm denying myself. I'm going to be a lifelong learner. Or do you want to be a disciple that hangs on on the fringes? I have to ask myself that question every day. Am I fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? It is here that we have the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. The text says that he turned and saw them following and said to the disciples, what are you seeking? Question, what, what, what are you seeking? Now, this word for turning is more than a mere turning physically. It, it shows a sudden change of attitude. See, from the Hebrew perspective, turning means a, a turning of God back to the people. And it also speaks of a people turning back to God. So the implication is this. As the disciples turn to Jesus, Jesus turns to the disciples. The disciples responded to Jesus' question by asking, Rabbi, where are you staying? It seems that they were avoiding his question, but they were not avoiding his question. Their question showed that they were looking for someone to follow. They wanted to know where he was staying. It's like they were asking Jesus, where will you be leading us? Where are you going to be leading us? So Jesus then invites them by saying, come and see. I believe this is still a call of Jesus to not only the unbeliever, but to those of us who, are, who say we are followers of Christ. He says, come. Come. Follow. Come and see. Each day that we get breath, there is an invitation, I believe, from the Lord Jesus that says, come. I don't know about you guys, but every day is a journey. I'm understanding that. I don't know what the day will bring, but I'm saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. And inevitably, last week, it seemed like a couple of days just was going down. I'm like, Jesus, are you leading me to this? What's going on? But he says, come. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He says, come. Will you trust me? So he says to the disciples, come and see. The result, these two Follow Jesus. And I love the text also gives us some other details which shows that this is rooted in history. This happened. John says it happened at about the 10th hour. Why that detail? Why that detail? The 10th hour was about 4 p.m. John says at about 4 p.m. in the afternoon, Jesus says, Come and see. And they journeyed with Jesus wherever he was. Now, this is what I love. They didn't have vehicles. I don't know what those things are downtown where you can just pay for it and you ride on it and you can just go where you want to go. Those scooters, they didn't have that either. All they had was the right foot and the left foot on dusty roads. And it could have taken hours. So the implication here is Jesus is a rabbi, which means teacher. So what would happen on this walk? Jesus started teaching. He's teaching. He uses his 
every single moment with his disciples, and he is teaching these new disciples. Jesus says, come. There was a man named Lord Kenneth Clark. He was internationally known for a TV series called Civilization. He died without having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but in, in some writings, he stated how when he went to church one time, he had the greatest experience that he had ever had by going to church. He had a great experience. But the flood of grace, as he described it, created a problem for him. He said if he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. He knew he would have to change. His family might think he lost his mind, or the joy he felt would prove to be an illusion. So now he's, he's, he's questioning all of this, and this is what he concluded. He said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. I'm too rooted in this world to change now. So my question for you, friends, is does the world have such a hold on you that you can't let it go? That you can't let it go? Do you feel it foolish to totally follow the Lord Jesus and risk being ridiculed by the world? Are you willing to be labeled a fanatic because of your passion and love for the Lord Jesus? Or are you like Lord, this, this Mr. Clark, Jesus, I'm for you, but I'm not going to go hard. The world still has a, a hold on me. I'm still embedded in the world because I don't want my friends to ostracize me. And I don't want my, my, my church community to ostracize me. I want the best of both worlds. I, I want you, Jesus, but I also want what the world offers. But the Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus, and, and, and if you read some, some scripture, people come to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus said, come. He says, but first I need to go bury my father. Jesus said, man, let the dead bury the dead. He gone. Come follow me. Oh, I need to see about my business. Sell everything you got. Follow me. See, that's some words I think that challenges us, especially economically. Jesus, are you telling me to let some money go? <laughs> to follow you. But I think it's, it's, it's a deeper issue. It's not about Jesus knows that we need things. We need to work and we need to make money. But I think the money and the livelihood has a hold on us that we're worshiping it instead of him. We must let it go. I believe that Jesus is still calling and commanding us to follow him as disciples. What does this mean? This means becoming like him. The call to discipleship or being a disciple is not a promise of a leisurely life. It entails self-denial and readiness to experience suffering and persecution in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
like the early disciples, we must repudiate and reject our previous way of living and commit wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I know that often we, 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 we see the things in Scripture and think that they're so ancient and maybe not have a bearing on where we are today, but we still have this calling from you to leave and follow. Leave it all. Follow me. And, and Jesus, I remember that you said to the 12 that followed you that because they left everything that they would be rewarded with so much more. Being a disciple, a follower of you, Jesus, and all that that entails, we, we owe you our very being because of your death and resurrection for us. Nothing less than total commitment to you would suffice. And we are reminded right now of what you've done on our behalf as we prepare to come to the table to partake in communion. Lord Jesus, prepare our hearts. Meet with us as we spiritually feast on the body of the Lord Jesus and his bloodshed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.